You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Hey, open your Bibles to the book of Philemon. You probably already knew that, but I want you to turn there and, uh, and, and we've got a little letter that we're going to be talking about this morning. We're finishing out our study in Philemon on this subject, Speak Life. Now, what we've done is we've preached out of the book of Philemon probably in 27 years, you know, five or six times. Normally, it's been like a one-sermon message uh, throughout the, the, the letter. But what we've done this time is we've taken and divided the letter up into three sections, all right? Three portions of Scripture. And we've identified that Paul had a, a, a message throughout, that, that this thread throughout the entire letter that says this, speak truth in love. Speak truth in love to others. And so this morning I want to review the story, okay? If you've not been able to be here all three weeks, here's a quick two-minute review. Number one, here it is, you ready? Onesimus, different kind of a name. This was the gentleman who was a runaway slave. He uh, probably, as best we can tell, had potentially even robbed his his boss man, uh, Philemon, or robbed someone. Anyway, he got thrown in jail. So we've kind of made the, uh, the, the the joke a little bit that can you imagine going to jail and being next to the Apostle Paul? I mean, he's your cellmate, you know, cellmate. And you, you would think that Paul would probably begin witnessing to this, whoever this was immediately. And we can only assume that he did because Onesimus obviously became a Christian. Paul led Onesimus to Christ and he became somewhat of his son in the faith. Well, as a result of their discipleship, Onesimus uh, talks about Philemon. Some of it, maybe they were dealing with the past and, and, and the name comes up Philemon and all of a sudden, Paul, light bulb goes on. Philemon was someone he had led to Christ and put in the ministry and they were very good friends. And so he begins this, this idea of reconciling these two who had had a fallout. Onesimus in jail becomes a Christian. Philemon had become a Christian. And so Paul begins to work towards this entire letter is basically for the very purpose of engineering a reconciliation between these two men. So we've called this series Speak Life. We began with saying this, see the good in everything. And that's what Paul did in the, in the beginning of his letter. There was a lot of negativity involved in this story. Sure there was. There was a fallout. There was a robbery. There was, there was things that were involved that weren't pretty and they were messy. But yet Paul said, you know what? I can see the good in every situation. I'm going to look for the good first. And, and we, we understand this principle runs through scripture. Let's, let's see the good. Let's not take the, the, you know, we oftentimes come to church and, or, or we walk into our homes and, and the first thing we address is the negative. The first thing we notice is the bad. The first thing we talk about is what we don't like. And we tend to be somewhat cynical in our approach to life in every area versus what Paul's advice is. Hey, start seeing the good first. Then, as opposed to ever getting negative, secondly, then build bridges between people. Challenge people. Don't be negative. Challenging. Challenging is a lot better word. So Paul begins to challenge Philemon to get this right with Onesimus. He begins to build this bridge. Now today we're going to talk about people who speak the truth in love. That's how the chapter ends. That's the finish, that's the finish line is let's get involved. Now this is something that our church needs. Christianity needs this. There's a lack of this this, this uh, 
principle in God's Word, this truth in God's Word being executed amongst the life of believers. And so I want to read you the final portion of Philemon, and I want to just ask you to pay attention, and then we're going to go back and address six different steps here. So listen closely as I read this with a little feeling. Paul says, So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own life. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. I'm confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Now, if you know of a situation like that, if you know in your life, in your workplace, in your church, in your small group, in your home, if you know of a situation like that, I want to give you six steps that all of us need to take to get people back together. To get people who are estranged from one another back together. Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't that what we worshipped this morning? This idea of the ministry of reconciliation. God sent his only son into this world. He entered into a mess called our sin. All of our sin, all of our struggles, our worries. And God said, I'm going to send my son to come in the middle of all that and reconcile people back to me. Wow, that's a lesson that all of us can learn. So let's jump right in and let's begin to to, to really think about how we can execute this in our own lives. You ready? Number one, write this down. Let's Let's just get involved in these six steps. First of all, we've kind of already said this by using the statement, get involved. But I want to say it uh, in another way. Put yourself right in the middle. Right in the middle of a situation. Get involved. You know, I've found that a lot of times we pride ourselves in doing exactly the opposite. You know, we we, we like to say things like, well, I sure avoided that conflict. That was a close call. I almost had to get involved. But everything's good. Everything's cool. You know, I mean, after all, you know, I'm not the problem. They've got the problem. They both like me. So I just assume stay out of it. And we kind of brag about the fact that we, we, we don't get in the middle. And I want to say this this morning about that. That's a weakness. And that can be a weakness. That's why Paul said in, in Philemon, he said, notice the words. He says, consider this. He just jumps right in when he says those words, consider this. In verse number 17, he says, so if you consider me, I want you to consider this. If you receive me, if you consider me, then I want you to receive him. Direct, no way out conversation. I mean, listen, this is is a conversation that all of us need to have with someone. It's not iffy. It's not tiptoeing around the subject. It's getting right involved. Hey, consider this. Let's talk about the problem. Receive him. Do you have any friends like that? I'm learning that these types of friends are few and far between because we all need people in our lives who will look us in the eye and challenge us to do what God would have us to do. He says, consider this. And then he says this. Receive him 
just like you would receive me. In other words, if, if I were to walk into the room and you were to give me a hug, Philemon, give him a hug. Hey, Philemon, if you were to greet me with a kiss, greet him with a kiss. Philemon, if I were to come into town and you would take me out to a nice restaurant, would you do the same for him? Philemon, if you were to wash my feet, would you wash his feet? Here's the bottom line. Paul is saying, Philemon, get involved. Get involved. Paul puts himself in the middle. God wants someone to care about this like he cares about this. And our response sometimes is this. Well, if that happens, Pastor, if I actually do that, it, it might get messy. Yeah. No, not might. It, it will get messy. But that is God's heart. It got messy for Jesus. But he did what he needed to do to save us, to reconcile us to God. You see, we are seeking to see the world reconciled to Christ. But we are also seeking to see others reconciled to one another. So what are some reasons that people don't get involved? What are some of the common objections that I hear? Well, I, I thought about two that I hear often when it comes to excuses as to why we don't want to get involved. The first excuse is, well, it's not my problem. I hear that a lot. Well, it's not my problem. Well, why would I put myself in the middle? Well, that's a pagan philosophy. That's, that's satanic to say that. It really is. Am I my brother's keeper? Yes or no? Yes, we are. We have a responsibility to our brother. I mean, listen, those that we will honor tomorrow on Memorial Day, do you know all of the people that died for you? Do you know them by name? Do you know who they are? Do you know where they live? But did every soldier who's ever died in the line of duty for our freedoms, did they step in between you and freedom and give their lives? Yes, they got messy for you and I to enjoy this church service today. And so to use this excuse that says, well, it's not my problem. It's not a good excuse. Others might say, well, who am I to judge? And I found that one of the greatest distortions in all of Scripture is this assessment of judgment. Yes, don't judge people's motives. But judge people's actions. That's what we need to do. That's what we are responsible for. And to do that, it means we've got to get in the middle. That's the first thing you've got to do. Commit yourself to get involved. And then secondly, look at verse number 18. Let's read it together. It says, if he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Step number two, be willing to express a willingness to shoulder the debt. Express a willingness to shoulder the debt. You can see that Paul must have anticipated a positive response from Philemon in verse number 17 when he said, consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. You can sense that Paul is, is thinking, okay, he's going to respond right to this. He's going to be willing to do this because most of the time you and I, we, we feel as if that the debt is always financial, right? I mean, that's what you think about when you hear the word, you know, if there's anything he owes, put it on my account. The first response we have is, well, that must mean some sort of a financial obligation. But you know what I have found in pastoring very few times that I get in the middle of a situation and help to reconcile people. Does it have anything to do with money? The majority of reconciliation is jumping in the middle of an emotional mess. 
It's draining. It's tough. It's a struggle. I stand before you today, the, 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 the son, the, the, the young man of a divorced home. When my, my brother and I, Brett, were in the middle of a, of a divorce at a very young age. And when my parents split and we were left there to kind of sort things out, the jealousy we had towards, initially towards my dad and his remarriage and my mother and, and her dating and finally getting remarried. And then my dad having children and all the jealousy and all the, you know, Brett not wanting to go to the funeral and me saying, Brett, maybe we should go. And the conversations we'd have in our bedroom, just him and I try to sort through all of this. Listen, those of you that think that Brett and I, well, you know what? Kids, we're, we're going to get a divorce, but look at the pastor. He's the product of a divorced home. You can do it. You can make it. It'll be fine. That's so sad. To just look at Brett and I as if there was no struggle. There was no emotional damage done. There was not a lot of pain and suffering and lonely nights and tears and struggle and jealousy. Let me tell you something. The only reason I'm here today is because somebody stepped into the middle of my mess and helped me to sort it all out. Helped me to get through it and figure it out and, and love. And, and, and it took even my dad at times to get in the middle and my mom at times to get in the middle and say, it's not your fault because we blame ourselves sometimes. What am I saying? I'm saying it's not always a financial obligation. Sometimes it's just an emotional mess we've got to get involved in. My wife and I have found after all these years of pastoring that so many people in our church have been abused. Some emotionally, some sexually, some physically. And they need someone that's willing to shoulder that debt, to step in. What we desperately need in our church are people who are willing to shoulder the emotional weight of reconciliation. We need an army of people like this. And church, isn't this the essence of the gospel? I mean, shouldering the debt of someone else? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? He shouldered our debt. He bore our sin. You know, it's maturity to accept the consequences for your own actions. I highly advise parents not to fall into the devil's trap. That you're to protect your children from the consequences of their actions. One of the most damaging things you can do to your children. If there's anything that my wife and I, one of the things that my wife and I credit our kids being in church today and being joyful servants of the Lord is that we didn't always step and say, you know, we're going to go talk to your teacher and, you know, and, 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 and you know, because our kids lied a lot, you know. It was always somebody else's fault. Your kids ever lie like that? You say, you just called your kids a liar? Yeah, I just did. I lied like that sometimes too. I don't want to get in trouble. They were mean. They said this. They, Dad, they, they weren't fair. And you know what? Sometimes what we do is we step and try to help our kids not suffer the consequences for their actions. And they end up being very immature. But when maturity is when you accept the consequences for your actions. And you let that grow and make you a better person. But can I tell you something that's Supernatural. It's supernatural to accept the consequences for someone else's actions. That's what Jesus did. When you're willing to accept the responsibility for someone else's actions, you are being more like Christ than anything you could ever do because that's what Christ did on the cross. Christ accepted the responsibility of our sin. He took the pain. He took the suffering. And we are most like the Lord Jesus when we're bringing people into a right relationship and shouldering the weight of making that happen. And that's what Paul does here. 
Paul is willing to do that in verse number 18 when he says, If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. And then verse 19, I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I'm going to write this with my own hand. I'm going to sign for this. I will repay it. And then he kind of puts a little rib there when he says, not to say nothing of the fact that you owe me even your own self. I, I, I have put myself out there for you, buddy, a few times. Don't forget that. Just throwing that out there. You know. Had anybody ever tell you that? You know, I told you so. You know. And so Paul is making an effort here to help Philemon understand how much he was willing to do for him and hoping that Philemon would respond and accept some of that weight. Number three, this third thing we can do is appeal on the basis of friendship. This is important. This is why we develop relationships. This is why we get close to people. One of the reasons we develop relationships with people is so that when it comes time for us to speak into their lives, we've got some space. We've got some skin in the game. Are you with me? And so we got some, some people say, you know, we got some chips involved in this thing, you know. And, and so as a result of that, sometimes that will give you some grace in the conversation. People tend to listen more when they know that you've been their friend. In verse number 20, it says this, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Yes, brother, I've shown we've been tight. We've been close. I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about Christian friendship in the church. I really do. I think it's one of the most confusing things. There's a lot of posing and posturing that goes on in Christianity. It's, it's fake. And I just want to get all that out of our church. I, I really believe if we can get all of this posing and posturing about Christian friendship out and just get real with one another and feel comfortable in, in approaching one another and talking to one another and sharing with one another. If in our homes we can get all of this fakeness out, if at the dinner table we can feel comfortable. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing how dad and my stepmom, they're the best at this. Every time we eat, they bring questions to the dinner. And I'm telling you, it's hard to have a meal at our, when my dad's in town without everybody crying by the time it's over because they just know how to get you to open up, you know. It's amazing, you know, honey? And, and now my kids have learned to love it. They love it. And I think just sometimes we misunderstand Christian friendship, biblical friendship. False friendship says, I want you comfortable. Real Christian friendship says, I want you right with God and with others. False Christian friendship says, I'm going to protect the relationship. Real Christian friendship says, nah, truth is sovereign. False Christian friendship says, I'm going to be blind to their faults. Real Christian friendship has a total awareness of faults and yet a total acceptance of the person. And that is what Paul is doing here in this letter. He's being a true friend. I had a lot of friends I thought I had and you know what? Most of them walked away. Just differences that weren't even biblical. It was really encouraging for me this morning to see Pastor Warren Johnson in the first service. I, I talked about this in the first service, so it's, it's okay to talk about it. it. It'll mean something to about 
hopefully everybody will get the gist of my illustration, but it'll mean something to a lot of people that know some of what I've been through. But, you know, Pastor Warren Johnson, pastors a, a very independent fundamental church like I used to pastor. And he came in today dressed like he would always dress on Sundays, a three-piece suit with a tie. And here I am with my shirt on tuck. It's not because wearing a suit is wrong and a tie. I wear that about 10 times a year. You'll see me in a suit and a tie. I actually like suits and ties. But I also like to dress like this too. It's fun. It's, I feel like I relate a little bit more when I just can just dress nice but casual, you know. No big deal, right? It's just clothing. Why div- divide over a shirt? Why divide over an article of clothing? A lot of guys, though, just over that wouldn't. Be my friend, because I wasn't wearing appropriate pastor attire in the church. And I just thanked Warren, who sat in our services to my left in that back section. And I said, Warren, man, thank you for being here. I said, I- I'm just so grateful. I-, I know we don't agree on everything. He goes, no, we don't. But he said, you're my friend, and you'll always be my friend. And we wept together in that lobby as he left. We embraced. And we just talked about real Christian friendship. It's not about being comfortable. It was probably uncomfortable for Warren to be here this morning. He doesn't like everything about the way we do things. But you know what? He's more about friendship than he is about having to like every single thing about me. And that's what real friendship is. If you're looking to join a church that's perfect, you might want to look for another one. And then when you join it, it won't be perfect. You want to know why gospel is not perfect? Because the pastor's not. Anybody else want to join me in that? By the raising up of hands? I'm a member of this church too and I'm not perfect. Good. We've got a really messy church. Got a few perfect people in here. But not, not too many. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost a friendship over the truth? I hope you have. Because if you never have lost a friendship over the truth, you're probably not a real friend. You see, friend... Jesus put his love on, you put your love on the line to bear the weight of sin that was mine, washing my river of wrong into the sea of your infinite love. God put his love on the line for us. He stepped out. He was willing to to, to risk the friendship. But can I tell you how much has God done for us? Regardless of what we go through in life, there's no way we can outgive God. Can I get an amen? There's no way we can outdo God. has done so much for us. He put his love on the line. He said his only son. And I feel like that if you and I would understand how much we love one another and how much we've invested in one another and how much we've stuck together through thick and through thin, that when those problems come and we confront one another, it won't be like we run to another church. It'll be like, let's get this settled so we can continue to serve God together. It's really not that big a deal. Our friendship means too much. Are you with me? My marriage means too much to let a little something come between us and then divorce. Why? Let's work it out. Let's go to marriage counseling. Let's go to a seminar. Let's read a book together. Let's let something come between us to reconcile us so that we not throw it all away. I just feel like we throw a lot of Christian friendships away like they were just nothing. Just trash. 10, 15, 20 years, and it's all gone. Because we won't get uncomfortable in a conversation and have one that gets a little messy. How many times have I offered, can I step in? Can I mediate? Can I be involved? Can I? I don't mind. Listen, I have found the greatest 
gift that a pastor can give to a congregation is to help bring people back together. This is what Paul was doing. This is the essence of the gospel. This, my friend Philemon, is one of the best little books in all the Bible. Step four. Step four, bring the issue into the arena of the lordship of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 20. Three words that we just glossed over a moment ago, but yet they're amazing. Yes, brother. Yes, brother. I want some benefits from you. Next three words. In the Lord. In the Lord. You know why Paul says that? He says that because he's assuming Philemon's a Christian. Hey, Philemon, are you saved? Well, yeah, Paul, I'm saved. Is Jesus Lord of your life? Well, well, yeah, he's Lord of my life. Are you committed to Christ? Y- y- yeah. Great! Man, this won't be a problem at all. It's going to all work out. If Jesus is Lord, this should not be a hard thing to get done. Amen. <laughs> when you bring it into the arena of the Lordship of Christ, church, we're here today because we believe the Bible, right? <laughs> and so what happens is we preach the Bible and we give advice from the Bible and then someone says as an excuse, number one, well, let me pray about it. I need to pray about it. Here's what I would do in that situation. You've given him the Bible, right? Amen? I gave him the Bible. Here's what God says. Let me pray about it. Here's what I would do in that moment. I would say, well, let's pray about it right now and just start praying. Father, I just want to pray right now. We've, we've read your word. We know what it says. It's very clear that you want us to reconcile and work things out. So, God, would you just give us the power to do that right now as we ask you, God, to meet with us. May we be obedient to what you have already said. Don't say in Jesus' name, amen. Just lift your head and say, now you pray. Oh, they're probably going to say, well, I don't really need to pray. Say, exactly. We don't. Let's just do it. Let's get this thing right. We need to remove the excuse of saying, I need to pray about it. If God's word says it, let's just do it. Not really a need to pray about that. And then secondly, we just have different personalities. You know, I mean, Mike and I, we we just, you know, we just parted ways because, you know, he's he's just a little little different. Well, praise God. We're all a little different. Amen? I got a different personality. I'm a little OCD. Anybody... Pick up on that? Okay. We're all a little bit different. Truth of the matter is, is sometimes we like to use as an excuse to not get things right that we're just a little different in our personalities. And I've had that said to me before, and I don't feel like that's a worthy excuse. I think we need to embrace our differences and work through our problems. Number three, we, well, we're just so busy. All I'm going to say about that excuse is you should never be too busy to do what God says. And then number four, it's not really a big deal. Well, if it's not a big deal, then why haven't you talked to them in six months? It's a big deal. They were your friend. Why have, well, you, don't have, you never talked to them again. Well, it's not that big a deal. It's a huge deal. Let's not let each other get out of this. Bring it into the arena of the Lordship of Christ. Number, number five. Express confidence that they will do what's right. I love this because... Paul, again, goes back to positive encouragement. Remember, he started off with encouragement. First seven verses, right? Then he challenges Philemon, and now it's coming back around. Look at verse 21. 
I'm confident of your obedience. I love it. He expresses to Philemon that I know you will do the right thing. He expresses confidence in Philemon's love for the Lord. And he is confident that the Lord is working in Philemon's life. Amen? You know, if we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to go before us, why don't we just believe he actually will? Amen. We pray. I pray every, uh, I, you know, I've told you this before, but one of my, one of my, I, I call it a routine, but it's, it's, it's a good routine. I get on my face in my office before every, every Sunday morning and I just beg God to go before me, to give me the words to say, to help me to preach exactly what he would preach if he were here in my shoes. And I just kind of believe he's actually going to do it. <laughs> I just kind of believe that if I ask the Holy Spirit to work in your heart, that he actually will. And so everything I preach, I kind of plan on you having to deal with it. And, 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 and I actually believe that you'll do the right thing because you love God. And that's what Paul is doing here. He believes that Philemon will do the right thing. Challenge people to do what's right. And then after you challenge them to do what's right, believe that they will be obedient to the word of God. We all need people like this. We should embrace this attitude. Put yourself in the middle. Express a willingness to shoulder the debt. Appeal on the basis of friendship. Bring the issue into the arena of the Lordship of Christ. Express confidence that they'll do the right thing. And then finally, step six. Tell them. Tell them that you're going to follow up. And then actually, follow up. That's what he did in verse 22. Look at verse 22. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. In other words, I love this. He says, hey, Philemon, I plan on getting out of jail just so you know. When I get out, I'm coming your way. Amen? I'm coming to your house. And Philemon, if you don't mind, prepare a guest room. Because one of the reasons I'm coming over is I want to talk about how the thing went with Onesimus. Isn't that great? He prepares, look at me, he prepares to follow up. He actually says, look, I'm not just going to preach this sermon and, and walk away. I'm going to preach this sermon and then ask you later, hey, how's it going? Hey, you, you, you doing okay with so-and-so? You, have you worked it out yet? Have, have, you, have you shot him a text yet? Have you had coffee with him yet? Have, have you asked some, have you gone to seek counsel yet? Here's what it comes down to. It comes down to this, church. Either next week, you're going to come to church and say, uh, preacher or Holy Spirit, thank you. I'm on my way. I've made that initial contact, and I'm working to get people together. I'm working to work this thing out. I've actually sent a text and email. I've had coffee with someone this week. I'm, I'm not just ignoring it. I know God has uh, prepared this situation for me to get involved, and I'm I'm on my way, preacher. I'm, I'm in the process. Or, this is going to be in file 22 with other sermons that make you uncomfortable. And all you remember is the part you laughed at. And the mission's testimony, which was great. It's amazing. But as far as the, the truth, uh, I'm going to file that one away, preacher. Can I ask you not to file truth away? practice it, put it into practice. Church, we've got some work to do. I already know there's reconciliation needed in the building. 
there's there's those we need to go to and have those uncomfortable conversations and sometimes they're so ridiculously small like for instance my wife this morning I, 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 I said something on the way out it wasn't really harsh but it was it was just not like the best thing to say at that time you know and so she texted me <laughs> I responded good didn't I yeah she said hey you know in fact man give me my phone I'll read it to you yeah, this is good I just want to show you you see you think you're the only one you think you're the only one. Oh, honey, I must, let me use yours. Is it on yours? I get so many texts, I, I can't. All right. So, she thanked me for helping, and she said, you know, thank you for helping with Glow yesterday. I think it was good for you to just have to, people to come by the house and see you because I had to leave the wedding early because Glow was, she gets anxious and somebody's got to take her away. She goes, this is not an attack, just a suggestion. Way to go. You're an amazing hubby, helpful, hardworking, loving. Oh, I'm feeling really good. But maybe before you correct me about it, and she goes, because I, I said something that was a little correct. It just wasn't necessary. I shouldn't have said it. It just came out. And I knew when I said it, I probably shouldn't have, but I just was leaving the house. So it was really easy to get out, you know. And then she finished by saying, I'm praying for you. I can't wait to hear you preach the message this morning. I love you. Brilliant, honey. Brilliant. And you know what? My text to my wife after that was, you're right. You're right. I was wrong. Thanks for pointing that out to me. Pray for me. Here's my point. Thanks, sweetheart. Yeah, I know. She's not an athlete. My point is this, is that if we let stuff like that go, guess what? It gets worse. And we harbor bitterness. And then we, it gets emotional and it gets ugly. And, and then before you know it, we need rescuing out of a miry pit. But if you're there, I'm willing to get in that pit with you. Hey, listen, let's get reconciled. Let's fix these problems when they're little bitty, itty text messaging problems. And let's fix it if they've gotten way out of hand. Church, we've got to be real Christians here. And we're not being real Christians if we're letting stuff go and not reconciling. That is not what God would have us to do. So I challenge you, work it out. Work it out with your brother. Work it out with your sister. And if, if they're not working it out, get in the middle of it and help them work it out. But it'll get messy. It will. But if you've got enough skin in the game, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Let's pray, shall we? As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You know, church... I think we just all need to come to a place this morning where we recognize our need, our need for the reconciler to come in between our problem and, and begin to minister grace. And as we receive that grace, we need to give more grace. We need to be willing to help others reconcile to one another. And then if there's anybody here today that's never been reconciled to the Father, 
Oh, I pray that you'd be challenged this morning to step out and to know that you can come to this altar. And as we sing this wonderful hymn, Oh, come to the altar, that you would respond and know that you're loved and that the Father waits to bring you into his arms and to save you this morning. So God, we pray that you work right now as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?